Guys, those of you guys that are up here in the live stream today, we have uh, an episode of Outback with Jack, but yet again, Outback is indoors. What can I say? It's actually warm enough out there by now, since I'm so late for a Friday and getting started, that, that I could have been out there. But I got so behind, I just didn't have time to set up uh, out there and, and make everything work. So we're going to do Inside with Jack, even though it's an Outback with Jack episode And I am stalling just a little bit to let folks come online for the live stream. I see we're up to about 20 uh, have joined us already on the YouTube side. And, and for some reason, some of the other services seem to have a real lag between the time people join and we see them show up. Uh, I am on YouTube, Odyssey, Float, and even Facebook today. And if you're watching me on Facebook, please help me as I try to get myself banned. And I say I'm live on Float, but it doesn't seem to be working. There's been a lot of bugs on Float this week. Um, I, I think that float, the float team has reached the point that since they're coming out with version 1.0 very soon, they're not doing much to try to fix the existing platform anymore because they're wasting time doing that. So when there's bugs, we just have to, uh, to, to get through them. And again, I'm not seeing myself show up on float, but maybe I will. What are we going to talk about today? I got a bunch of stuff for you. And as promised, today's episode will be heavily crypto centric. Um, I think it's a good time to talk about it because things are bad in the minds of some anyway, and we'll talk about how that's really not really not the case. And uh, Mike's asking in the live chat, is YouTube the only platform where chat works? YouTube and Facebook both will feed chat into me here, where I can see it in my back office. Odyssey and Float and other platforms where I'm using a technology called RMTP to stream to, I have to look over at another monitor, and it's distracting, and so I don't do it as much as I would like to. I think maybe at some point, um, if the streams take off enough, and people like them enough, and people are using the alternative platforms enough, which I would love, maybe I can uh, employ somebody as kind of an assistant during these to to feed me Q&A at like the end of the shows like we usually do from the other platforms because trying to monitor multiple platforms and do a good job for you that, that that's pretty hard to do. The easiest thing if you want to communicate in real time with me during these streams is honest to God going to be YouTube and again those of you on Facebook yeah I've been shit posting there a lot I'm not back don't think I'm back you're not going to communicate with me you're not going to have long discussions with me there and I'm going to not post 90% of the information that I post In fact, all I'm posting on Facebook now are things to try to get banned. That's, that's literally what I'm doing. I'm trying to get myself banned yet again. Uh, I know I'm shadow banned heavily there and on Twitter. And we do live stream on Twitter as well, but I can't see your comments in real time on Twitter either. Facebook, I'm sorry, YouTube is the best place to do that. All right, so again, let's talk about what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to remind you real quick about the watch party uh, that goes on sale tomorrow if you want to come here to Nine Mile Farm. I've got a whole bunch on crypto. A whole bunch on crypto, like a crypto sandwich show today. Start out with a, a, a topic uh, on trusting information from media and the problem with puritism in that. And then we'll go into the crypto segment. And then we're going to finish up after we cover a bunch of stuff on crypto. Um, we are going to talk about a new gem in the infrastructure bill where, uh, well, what they want to do is put kill switches in all our vehicles. And that is now the law of the land, but it doesn't go into force for five years. 
Uh, we're going to talk about canning a little bit and a question on canning chili, and that's really something that is going to give me an opportunity to talk about something that people need to understand about canning and stop being too worried. Uh, a lot of things that people worry about with canning, if it were true, you wouldn't be here because your great-grandma would have died. All right, I'll just say it that way. Uh, doesn't mean you can just be stupid with canning, but we don't have a lot of canning deaths in the United States, and there's a reason. We'll talk about that when we get to that. I have a question about aquaponic systems in winter and what to do to get ready for winter, even though we're already here, but the question just came in, and it's a big old it depends. Uh, and then I think the big topic today is going to be, are we in the middle of an apocalypse right now? And I do mean the word as it's intended to be used, but it's not the way that the word is used many times by people. That doesn't mean the end times. It means an unveiling or a revealing. And I think when we get to have this, sub, this, this topic at the end of the day, this will be the most interesting part of today's episode. And it's going to cause some contemplation in some people, hopefully. That's the reason I'm going to do it. And I'm going to, I'm going to kind of conjure a little Tommy Chong in it. It's the same but different, man. Because when I start explaining my reasoning as to why we're in the middle middle of an apocalypse right now, which could be they can be pretty long, by the way, you know, um, you're going to say, "Well, isn't that always the case?" And I'm going to say, "Yes, but right, it's the same but different, man." Because it's the quantity and the veracity of what we're dealing with at the time. We were going to talk about the concept of evil as darkness and and truth instead of good. Let's call it truth is light. And why darkness fears the light. Why evil always fears the light. And yet light doesn't need to fear darkness. So it won't be a religious sermon or anything like that. But we'll get a little bit spiritual there. Uh, and a lot practical. So let's kick off with, hey, I just want to remind you guys again. Tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Santa Claus is coming. No, the watch party. That's from Elf, right? I think it was 10 a.m. Tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, the watch party where you can come hang out with me and like 20 other really cool people and watch the Anarchapoco, the last two days of Anarchapoco, see my presentation, which will be streamed out through Anarchapoco and to the Anarchapoco people in real time. You guys will be here when I do it. A lot of other cool stuff. I won't go into it, but great, great, great menu. I defy it's yes, it's five hundred bucks for basically two and a half days. You know what? I dare you to feed yourself. Just feed yourself the way we're gonna feed you for those two and a half days if you come here. I've got some real cool stuff coming. And for many of you guys that have not been able to make the, the workshops that are more like five days, uh the time constraint may be a little bit easier to do with this one. And it's a time of the year unless unless you just can't leave your place like me, because you know, if it gets too cold or whatever, you have things break. Um Unless, unless that's the case, you may be more able to get away this time. It is mid-February. K-Bonk's asking 17th and 18th are the two official days, but you can show up Wednesday afternoon. We're going to be hanging out, having a social hour, and throwing some brats on the grill and stuff like that as we get set up and ready for it. And it's going to be some cool stuff that I'm not even talking about. I do have a 3D printer guru. I am still waiting to hear if he is 100% committed to coming, though. So if you would like to help do a, a 3D printer show and tell and you can commit to coming, I have one. It's still in the box. It requires everything to be done, but I'll give you a discount and guarantee you to see. And if I end up with two people, all the better. All right. So there's that. Let's start talking about the problem with what I call puritism. I, I, I guess it's not what I call uh, being a purist, right? When it comes to like media and trust. So I made a very innocent 
comment on Monday, and I got a very tongue-lashing email, right? Hey, David, please email me on, on the printer thing. Put TSPC in the subject line in case it goes into spam hell. Anyway, um, a very innocent comment. And it wasn't, hey, you can trust these people with your dog. I talked about the situation in the Ukraine on Monday. And I said the reason that most Americans, and it turned out to be true right here with my audience, that's some of the most informed people in the country, I would imagine, um, that most people didn't know that the Ukraine is in the middle of a civil war. That there's, an East, there's eastern Ukraine and western Ukraine. And that eastern Ukraine on the border with Russia is a group of breakaway provinces that don't really want to be part of Ukraine. And instead of a complete actual split, what happened is there was something called the Kiev Accords, where both sides agreed that there was autonomy for these provinces versus these provinces, and then they could just go on about their lives, stay totally Ukraine, and not kill each other. It was kind of like a, uh, a, a meeting in the middle, and that the West Ukraine, our ally, continues to shell like cities and towns in East Ukraine with freaking howitzers and shit like that that we give them. And that Russia has not stepped foot, as far as we know, at least officially, in the Ukraine, and we have yet another proxy war where Russia's on one side and we're on the other and we're fighting as intermediaries. And I won't go any further than that. You can go back and listen to Mondays if you want to know more. But I said, here's a video from RT. And I said, when it comes to things like this... About the only news source in America you can trust is RT America. So I got several emails on this, but one in particular said, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, Jack, but RT America stands for Russia Today America. No shit, you think? Really? You think I don't know? It says right on the damn thing, Russia Today. Like, I can't read when I watch a video, and it, they exist solely to serve the agenda of the state of Russia, and I can't believe that you trust them at... Oh my God. This is why we're fucked, folks. This is why we're fucked. Let's say that I told you that I think it is less dangerous to jump off a 50-foot fucking cliff than a 500-fucking-foot cliff. Does that mean you should go willy-nilly jumping the fuck off a 50-foot cliff? Does it? I mean, Jesus Christ! This is the problem. What I said was... For things like this, you're going to get more accurate information information out of RT than you will out of MSNBC, CBS, Fox, etc. And here's the thing. Have any of those sources told you what I just retold you now? That what's actually going on is a civil fucking war inside its own country that maybe we should stay out of. Even Tucker Carlson, who probably does the best job on Fox News, he talks about it. He says the United States should stay out of it, etc. He doesn't explain why. Can explain what the hell's going on? At least not... If he has, okay. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen him explain it. And I don't, I, I don't religiously watch it or anything, but I haven't seen any clips posted or anything about it. I haven't heard from anybody. And when I asked this audience, and there were about, a, about 200 people in the live stream this week when we were talking about that subject, who didn't know that Ukraine was basically involved right now enveloped in a civil war amongst themselves. More than half of the people in the stream said me, I didn't know. And that's just the ones that admitted it and were paying attention enough and took the time to answer in the comments. And that didn't include all the other people on all the other live stream platforms. Again, we were talking about the beginning, I can't see. Now, this is what I'm saying. 
Puritism destroys and rots the brain's ability to think logically. You can be Puritan in your core fundamental beliefs and your morals and your ethics. I consider myself that way. I may have areas that you think are bad that I don't, and you may have areas that think are bad that I don't, etc., and vice versa, and that's fine. But when it comes to my moral principles, I am a Puritan. This thing is either good, or it's bad, or it's neutral, or it's a gray area, right? And I'm very defined in those things. And just because I disagree with somebody doesn't mean that the information they're giving me is not accurate. And, and honestly... You have to look at the whole world today this way. It's a giant house, and there's hundreds of windows, and the more windows you look through, the closer the true picture you're going to get, and you're never going to get a 100% accurate picture. But when it comes to those types of things, yes, Russia is serving its own interest as it pushes through a media uh, platform like RT. Of course it is. But if, 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 and we'll get to this when we talk about the good evil apocalypse thing here at the end, right? If I have an adversary, right, and that adversary is constantly lying and deceiving and committing lies of omission in, into, in addition to outright lies, and I want to counter that, is it best that I tell my own lies, or is it simply best that I expose the lies of my adversary? Which one of those is going to be more effective, right? Which one is going to be more effective? Well, obviously, it's, it's, it, it's the path of least resistance to point out the lies of my adversary if they're easy to point out. And, oh, my God, the lies that we're telling in the Western world today are so easy to point out. Again, we'll get to this at the end. So that's why I trust RT more than MSNBC, CNN, Fox News when it comes to Ukraine right now because it's in their best interest to tell the truth because what they're saying is actually happening. And the people that gave me a tongue lashing by email, and I could just hear your fingers going, you're so mad at me, right? Those people, not one of them said, well, Jack, actually you're wrong. There's not a Kiev Accord. It doesn't exist. Here's proof. They, the, 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 our allies are not shelling freaking towns and cities and villages uh, in, in eastern Ukraine. It's not happening, and here's not one person did that. No, what you have there, folks, is called an ad hominem fallacy, which is probably the the most pathetic fallacy in all logical fallacies. It is such a childish freaking thing to attack a source if you actually think the data is invalid, because attacking the data would be easy if you could. So I just wanted to point that out. Now let's go into crypto. And where stuff goes from here. I want to start out with something that I think a lot of you probably have never seen before. And those of you that are on the live feed, I'm going to pull this up. And it is called the stock-to-flow model. Now, I want to be very clear that I am not saying that you should bet your, your entire life uh, savings on this, okay? I am not saying that this is something that you should literally take to the bank. I'm just going to point out how it works. Now, there, I wanted to also say something else when I when I cover this with you. There is a more, I would consider, an elegant model of this as far as, as being able to look at than this one. And it includes bands. So you know how when you when you look at a hurricane track, you'll see bands of certainty. In other words, they'll say, we think the hurricane's going to hit... I don't know, freaking Miami. And then they'll have like a light cone 
that's just outside of it that says, well, it could be east or west of Miami by this much. And then they have a broader cone and say, we're, we're almost a thousand percent certain that it's going to be somewhere in this big-ass band. Well, this stock-to-flow model has a, a band like that around it, but I can't find a dynamic, and what I mean by, by dynamic is up-to-date, real-time, as of yesterday anyway, this, this particular chart here. And I have a link in the audio version of the podcast, and you can use the link in the video notes here to, to get over and see it. About an hour after I get done uh, with this live stream, it'll be available. And it shows kind of where we are versus where the model predicts, and it's showing us around 47,000 yesterday at close. It's hard to get right there. Uh, 43,000 at close versus 108. I will tell you that having looked at the band model, we're barely outside of the, 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 the certainty band on both sides of this above and below. What I think is more important about this model when you're evaluating it and you're evaluating the future of Bitcoin is this model was created about right here in early 2019 by a guy that has an online handle named Plan B. You can look him up and learn more about him. And he used this past historical stock-to-flow ratio. And what that's talking about is how much Bitcoin's being produced, and you can see the halving cycles, and every time there's a halving cycle, there's a run-up, right? Here's your last halving, and here's your run-up. And you can see that this model predicts that we should be somewhere in a $100,000 range right now. But you can also look back and see it is not uncommon, including right when the model was created, for us to be out of the band for a time. We call that a dip. Here's a dip, and here's a dip. Right? And then here we actually stayed above the model in the irrational exuberant period uh, that led up to, the, to, to like, and, and remember, remember the huge 2017-2018 crash? It doesn't look so crashy there, does it? When in doubt, zoom out is a, what I say about Bitcoin. But I would just like you to look at this and how historically accurate this is. And realize that generally when you're in these areas like this, these are, these are good times to buy. Again, I'm not saying you should go out and mortgage your house tomorrow and start buying stuff. Like start buying Bitcoin. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that this is, God bless it. Far as I can tell, you guys can still hear me, so we're going to rock on. I'll make an edit on the audio side for the uh, audio. Okay, you guys can still hear me. Great. Anyway, what I was saying about this stock-to-flow model is it should give us a lot of confidence in the future of Bitcoin just by looking at it, its, its accuracy over time. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry about the uh, the audio quality probably just went down a little bit because I'm using the, uh, the inbound or the onboard mic in the uh, laptop now to do this. But uh, starting over doesn't work real well with this. So anyway, I wanted you to be aware of that if you weren't. And I want you to be aware of some other things too. Um, Bitcoin right now, I don't think people realize this, has already overtaken the market capitalization of silver globally. And gold's next, guys. Gold's next. Now, it's a while, but gold's next. You can actually, there's a chart, and I couldn't find it today for you, but it shows a spiral effect of basically Bitcoin across time eating market caps. And the next big one in that spiral, expanding spiral, is gold no matter what Peter Schiff says, and he said some pretty dumb tweets lately. Um, but I did also want to talk to you about how dips are made worse, and I'm still trying to get back on track after that little technical glitch there. Um, there's three big things that I think have made the dips worse than we would expect in the past couple months. One is our old friend Coinbase. 
How does Coinbase play into this? Because every time there's a huge dip in Bitcoin price. Do you know what I see on social media? I'm trying to buy Bitcoin on Coinbase and it won't work. Um, I didn't see that happen, this latest dip. And I'm going to say yet, because it probably is a yet thing. Um, if it keeps going, it seems like whenever there's a, like a flood of buying, Coinbase just crashes. I think Coinbase is a, a fine onboarding platform. It's why I recommend it. It's really easy. Anybody can figure it out. Um, it's not the best customer support, but in my opinion, nobody in the market is right now. Um, and so you set up, you can, you can DCA, you can dollar cost average buy. There's, it's just an easy way to buy. But when it comes to those critical periods, where you want to be able to buy, it's not there. And retail is still my, retail is no longer the dominant buyer in the market. We're not. Like I'm a retail buyer. You're a retail buyer. If you don't have ink after your name and you're not, you know, doing transactions in millions of dollars, you're a retail buyer. But we're still a big part of the buy. We're little, but there's lots of us. We're like ants. And so when dips come and retail buyers start buying, then, you know, that's a, that is a stabilizing effect that helps create a floor a little bit faster. So when you take the biggest retail platform on the planet out of the equation for a day or half a day or nine hours or whatever it ends up being this time, and, and K-Bonk saying strikes shut down a few times, yeah. And a lot of these, these app-based buying uh, platforms do get so overrun that they collapse. And it's a lot like a power plant, right? And I understand this, right? I've built a lot of headroom into the downloads of the audio version of this podcast, for instance. But that headroom continues to get chewed away at. I actually pre-buy 100 terabytes of bandwidth a month because when you hit as many subscribers as I do through as many platforms as you as, as I do with the audio, you know, that hour and a half audio file every day adds up. And so you build headroom in it. Well, I found one web host that there was enough affordability for me to put that much headroom in, right? And that's how electric companies work, right? Like, they, they build their capacity to way overproduce during the majority of time, but then when it gets really cold or really hot, they have to go up and peak out. And sometimes they have problems getting there, or sometimes they can't go far enough, quick enough, and you have an outage. And you can understand why, because how much can I afford to put into infrastructure that gets used once, twice, three, four times a year? And that's what a lot of these brokerage platforms have. So that's an aggravating circumstance, definitely. Uh, but the biggest thing right now is futures contracts and overall leverage. Uh, we, we're at a point now where so many people are using leverage to buy Bitcoin and through futures and through other uh, lending and uh, cross-leverage platforms that when the price comes to a certain point, there's a bailout point where if I don't bail now, I'm going to get liquidated completely later. And that triggers a bunch of sell-offs. And this was, this was finagled. This was finagled and done on purpose. And I told you this months ago. I told you this before it got approved. When I, when I talked about the ETFs, I said they're going to approve an ETF. It's going to be a futures ETF. They're going to drag their freaking feet on approving a spot ETF. So if you had the, the futures ETF and the spot ETF, you'd have a great counterbalance in, 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 in the universe of Bitcoin. Because when the futures started to get liquidated, 
then more and more people would roll more of their retirement in and buy the dip. You see how that works? And because this is what the problem is right now with buy the dip stabilizing the floor. The buy the dip budget is spent. How many of you out there, I'd love to see it in the live stream right now, you bought some of the dip already. It's in a point now where you would buy more of the dip, but you don't have budget for it right now. Like, you bought the dip. The buy the dip money is gone for the month or the quarter, right? Or... I have other crypto, but since there's so much leverage interconnection, all of it's down. So, you know, like liquidating some of XYZ to buy BTC, not really, doesn't make sense right now. It doesn't make sense because I would be right back where I started. And so the, the buy the dip budgets are, are, are highly liquidated in the retail small investor. And by small investor, I mean people are worth a couple million bucks. They have budgets just like you. So then you have to kind of wait for budget to reconstitute to buy dip again. And then once it starts falling, people aren't stupid. They're like, well, how how, how far down is it going to go? Because if it's at 42 and it goes down to 36 and I don't and it starts going back up and I, I decide to act and I buy it at 38, I'm still ahead. People can do that basic math, especially people smart enough to understand Bitcoin. So that's it. But there's three other things. The, the mainstream will tell you right now, and they have varying levels of truth. One is Kazakhstan, and I was shocked by this. As much as I know about Bitcoin, I had no idea how much um, hash power Kazakhstan has. It's like a, it was a fifth of the power of, of the hash power in the Bitcoin network, a whole fifth. Um, and then if you haven't paid attention, like the people of Kazakhstan have lost their freaking patience with their government. They're, 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 they're revolutioning. They're tearing shit down. They're freaking pissed. And they're also in the middle of a power crisis. And because of that, what's happened is the Kazakhstan government has shut down Bitcoin mining. So a fifth of the hash power went down. So that's supposedly why the price is plummeting. That's stupid. You know what, it, you know what that did? Do you know what that did to Bitcoin? Nothing. It's called the self-adjusting difficulty algorithm. I've talked about this before. You can take half the hash power offline. It's not going to change Bitcoin. Now, if you took 90% of the hash power offline, and good luck with that, and right now the Kazakh miners say that they have no plans to leave, well, yeah, because they expect it to come back on. But what happens when the hash rate drops? First of all, you have to understand, before this happened, we had the highest hash rate we ever had. And when, it, when, when that dropped, it, it didn't bring us back to, like, 20 years ago, or 10 years ago, right? It brought us back to, like, the summer. It ain't that big a deal. And, and what am I going to do if I'm a miner and the hash rate drops so the difficulty drops? I'm going to, I'm bringing up more miners, baby. I'm going to start putting some more hash power out. This is a non-issue, but it does work as fun. Basic technical analysis is another reason, because there is the Bitcoin investor is a fairly informed investor. And basic TA says that if you dip below 45k support, which we did, you know, I don't know where we're at this moment, but 42.7, something like that. Um, somebody just said 42.7 is where they bought it. But I think we're in the 42 range right now, 41, I don't know. But technical analysis says we will fall through $40,000 in this dip. Now, if you think that's going to happen and you're, you are a trader, You're probably going to go ahead and sell, even if you're even if you didn't sell yet. If you really believe, if you're at forty-two five, 
and, and you are a person that trades regularly, and you believe we're going to go down to 37, it's probably the case you'll take at least some of your holdings, sell them, and wait for that lower price and buy it back. And even if it falls through, if you're even if you're a solid hodler that trades, you're still, I still got more. Then if you're looking to buy the dip, if you do have any dip budget left, you're like, well, let's see how juicy this dip gets. So all of that's kind of pushing the price down. But technical analysis says we will go sub 40 in this dip. It doesn't mean it's right, but it, it's what it says. And it's not one person with some YouTube channel that gets paid to make videos. It's, it's a pretty broad spectrum of, of pretty good technical analysts saying that's what this says. Um, and then last and the biggest reason, and this is why the stock markets come down too. Have you noticed that? And by the way, gold ain't done shit. Um, the Fed has stepped in to stabilize the dollar by raising interest rates to reduce inflation. So there's more confidence in the dollar. That tends to change the direction of the flow of money inside and in, with its investment and assets. But you know what people that are making decisions on that are betting on? That the Fed can you know, jack interest rates up half a point and fix the inflation that's been created with the printing of trillions of dollars. It's almost a joke. It's a short-term thing, and I invite you back to look at the stock-to-flow model and its historical accuracy. And I'm not saying it's going to be 100% accurate going forward, but it's a, it's, it's a pretty good model that we can expect to continue to perform well, is what I'm saying there. Next, um, I think there is a crash and burn coming this year, a big crash and burn. And you know where it's going to be? NFTs, baby. NFTs are going to crash and burn this year because people are going to start realizing, hey, I'm buying stupid shit. It didn't take long for South Park to start ripping on you. When start, South Park starts ripping on you, it's it, you're, you're on short strokes with with your game. When, when South Park starts ripping on you that hard, um, and I think that it's going to get hit in a lot of ways, but one's going to be regulatory, and I think it's unfortunately going to be used in a regulatory sense to further regulate crypto. And I do think we're going to get significant crypto regulation in the United States this year, and NFTs are going to be one way it's heavily justified. Because I, I don't know if any of you have really thought about this. Let's say that I wanted to create the illusion of money, but I had a bunch of uh, Ethereum, right? because that's just a real popular way to handle NFTs. So I made an NFT of this, this soda can here, and I said, I, this is my special soda can. I decorated it with my lips. And... Then I put that out in an NFT marketplace. And I said, I want $10 million in Ethereum for this NFT. Now, you might think, well, you're stupid, Jack. No one would buy it. I'll buy it for myself. See, now I can spend the $20 million in Ethereum that I have, or $10 million in Ethereum, whatever amount of Ethereum I have. I can literally spend every Ethereum I have. And the only thing I'm going to lose in a transaction is the fees. And now I have an NFT that legitimately sold on a legitimate marketplace for $10 million or $20 million. And then I can say, well, I fell on hard luck. I'll take a loss on this. I'll sell it for half a million dollars because I need money fast. Or I can use it as collateral now and start printing some other crypto on top of it. And there's all kinds of freaking games that can be played with this stupid shit. Do you really think people are spending that much money for this shit? Do you really? I mean, some are. There's more than one form of mass formation psychosis in the world. 
But a lot of this stuff is being ginned up. It's 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 I'm, it's me selling to my buddy, and we're splitting profits on the back end, or it's me selling to myself. There's no tracing or tracking of this, and that leads to a point where you could start having this intermingled with things like some new form of stable coin and creating some sort of fictitious offshore, uh, uh, you know, dollar. Right, some sort of synthetic dollar like a tether um, that's got way more fud behind it than tether, but people believe in it, people go into it, and causes all kinds of gnashing of teeth and pain when it falls apart. And sooner or later, this nonsense of people buying JPEGs and thinking they own something valuable and rare is going to fall apart. It has to. And it's going to coincide, and it's going to create a lot of regulation. And I have real concerns with that, and less for Bitcoin than any other crypto. Bitcoin is digital property. It's digital property. Bitcoin is not a security. It's not. And you can debate me that, you know, Algorand, which I like, by the way, or Ethereum or any of these other things are securities or not. But if you look at what U.S. law says, and again, I don't agree with U.S. law, but it is what it is. Under U.S. law, most altcoins could easily be classified as securities, not digital property. Bitcoin is mined. It's truly decentralized. There's no building with a B on it. There's no Bitcoin Inc. There's no group of people who clearly make a profit by promoting Bitcoin as a thing into itself or that they have control. There's no one that can just say, you know what? Yeah, 21 million Bitcoin that we said we were going to have. Meh. You know that. It's, why don't we print an extra million Bitcoin and just give it to ourselves and see what happens? That doesn't. Exist. And in most altcoins, there's a small group of people that can make a decision and completely change the monetary policy of the alt. And those people tend to have, one way or another, issued themselves a shitload at the beginning, and they tend to profit from their decisions. And then they tend to profit off the work and efforts of others through that issuance. That's a security under the U.S. law. So I think that we're going to see a major alt gutting 2022 through 2024-25. It's going to take time. Our government's stupid, but they also know they can't pull the plug on a trillion-dollar industry overnight without suffering themselves. What they're going to have to do is they're going to have to create some sort of new classification, and I don't know exactly what this is going to be yet, but it's going to be like a security, but it's not going to be the same as a security like on the Dow Jones or something like that. And they're going to have to do it in a way that doesn't piss off their Wall Street buddies at the same time, okay? In that they're going to have to make sure that not every corporation leaves Dow and, and S&P, etc., and starts using this other model because it's less expensive. And what's going to happen then is the alts that will survive will explode after they get the shit beat out of them in the FUD, Because they're going to be able to comply with whatever this bullshit is. And that is going to eliminate thousands, maybe tens of thousands, of alternative projects. Just wipe them out. Gone. Go away. Because if I can't afford to do it, I'm not going to do it. So I'm, I'm tending to look at projects right now from the standpoint of, can you survive this? Now, are you good? Do you do something nobody else does or do it better? Do you have a compelling use case scenario? Are you winning real-world contracts, and can you get through this? And I can't give anybody five stars on all of that. But this is why I like projects like Cosmos and like Algorand, because I think they have enough 
of a war chest to finance compliance. You know, and then, well, where does that leave a, a, a project like Pirate Chain, which I love? And the answer is I don't know. I'm not sure. I think that any currency that's a mined currency has a better chance of survival than a proof-of-stake currency under this model, with you know, assuming that they have some level of war chest available. So we'll see. But this is just some stuff you got to really, really think about. You really got to think about. Um, next up, I have gotten questions this week again about this subject. And I keep getting this. And I probably need to make one standalone video that's two minutes long of how this works. So every time I get a question, I can stop talking about it over and over again. Crypto taxes. And it's that time of year, and everybody's making crypto tax videos because they want to make this hard. This is not hard to understand. I think part of why people struggle with it is most people have in our country have never owned stocks, bonds, mutual funds, etc. outside of a retirement account. And that's why a lot of buy-the-dip Bitcoin money is, is, is held captive right now and can't do it without an ETF. So you've never had to actually figure out, well, how do I pay taxes on a stock trade? Cryptocurrency works almost exactly the same from a trading standpoint. And then we'll talk about earning and spending and how that correlates. And, and we'll, I'm not going to do this anymore for a while. If I buy Bitcoin, the tax consequences are nothing. Just like if I buy Exxon stock. If I buy it and hold it, the tax consequences are nothing. I can buy it, if, if I bought it when it was a dollar, and it's 40 grand now, and I went from a dollar to 400 billion dollars, or whatever the hell it would be, okay, I owe nothing in taxes. I can send a picture of my holdings to the IRS and tell them how it happened, and I owe them nothing. I don't have to hide anything. I owe nothing, just like if I buy a stock and hold the stock. When I sell it, I realize a gain, or if I bought at 60 and I sell at 40, I realize a loss, and I put on my taxes, bought Bitcoin, date I bought it, and I declare my own basis for now. Exchanges are not providing a basis to you. They will eventually. Infrastructure bill has shit for that in it, just like they finally did that with stocks. Years and years, when I did a stock trade, I figured out my own basis and reported it, and now my brokerage gives me a basis on the stock that I've sold. That's how it works. And then I pay tax on the gain. Or I take a deduction, a capital loss on the loss. That's it. If I am holding a proof-of-stake coin that pays me staking rewards... That's just like a dividend in stocks. It's seen as dividend and interest income. Okay? That's it. So all your rewards you're supposed to report and pay taxes on as though you received it as income. Okay? Simple. If that's it. As for trading and holding, that's everything. And right now, we still don't have what's called a wash rule. So you literally can sell at a loss and buy back immediately. Because we have, they have not, and I do think the wash rule has been added in the infrastructure bill, which has nothing to do with crypto, but apparently it does. So I think that's coming, but I don't think it's enforced yet. All right, so we won't get into wash rules, but basically it works like stocks. Okay. What about if you spend it? Spend is treated as a sell. Spend is treated as a sell. So if I bought Bitcoin, and let's say I bought $100 worth of Bitcoin, and now it's worth $150, and you want to sell me something, and I buy it from you, I've effectively sold Bitcoin for the item you've given me. We've traded property. It's, it's barter. 
but monetarily, it's a $50 game. I'm supposed to pay tax on that. If I bought $150 worth of Bitcoin, and it goes to $100 in value, and you sell me something for $100, and I, I, I give, now I get a capital loss for $50. That's simple. If I get paid in Bitcoin, like for my salary, I report it as income, and pay tax on it, and I report that when I receive it, that value locks in, and later when I spend it, I pay the difference or take the loss. That's it. That's the whole thing. But the big thing people don't understand, the big place people fall in the hole is, if you buy cryptocurrency and hold it, nothing happens from a tax standpoint. Nothing. And I've had people get mad at me. I'm like, you could be worth $4 billion in Bitcoin. If you never sold or spent any of it, you owe nothing in taxes. They'll find out. It doesn't matter if they find out. I'm going to calm down and we're going to go to other things now. Don't know why this is hard, guys. But I do think that's what it is. I think the real problem is that most people have never invested in securities outside of a tax-deferred account. And when you're doing it inside a tax-deferred account, you have to worry about this. In fact, most people in America don't trade or exit positions. They just, you know, 10% every paycheck goes in. And so they don't deal with it at all. And I think that's why. So I know that that's why, um, that's probably why. So don't let me sound like I'm being too hard on people. Next up, though, hey, your government's out to help you. They want to really help you guys. They, they really do. Um, I want to just bring this up on the screen real quick here for you. And... Uh, So what they want to do is they, they, they've put another, another law. This was in the infrastructure bill. This is nice, isn't it? Once again, drivers get screwed by politicians in D.C. Uh, back in 1998, sci-fi TV series X-Files aired an episode called Kill Switch about an AI gone rogue. Told when the Internet was still accessed by most dial-up modems, it was a fascinating tale of technology run amok, and basically it could turn stuff off. Well, your government has made that a thing now. Your government has mandated that in the future, all new vehicles sold in America, these are cars, trucks, SUVs, it doesn't matter, um, will have to be made with a kill switch that would allow authorities, if they had a code or some access or something like that, to basically, there you go driving down the road, click, and your car shuts off, and it won't go anywhere. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I think this would be an interesting technology if the government didn't have it. I have no problem with you, good sir or good madam, having that technology available on your own car. Because what they're saying is it'll help prevent car theft. We'll be able to recover vehicles. Oh, okay. Okay. You don't need it then. I need it. So I, I go outside and, you know, there's uh, my car's gone. And I look around and realize, hey, I didn't loan it to my kid or nothing. I click, right? And then Bam! Guess what? That car shuts off, and then I can have a look, and I can call the police, and I can tell them, hey, I just kill-switched my car, and I got it on my app here, and here's where it's at, and I'm going down there, and if you guys don't want me to beat the shit out of this guy, maybe you should meet me there, or what have you. Um, that, that, sounds, that sounds like a legitimate market-based solution. But I think the way this reads, when I dug into this, this part of the, the, the bill a little bit, is that not only is that going to be the case, there's going to have to be a centralized database, and the government can shut your vehicle off anytime they want. Now, it's not clear what government 
your state, your local government, some sort of new... I, what I predict come out of this, because we don't have enough alphabet agencies, right? Another alphabet agency. The, the Kill Switch Vehicle Corporation network of networks within, you know, under the DOJ or some shit like that. Yeah. Doesn't this make you kind of want to make sure you get a vehicle before they do it? It's going to last a long time. I have a few of those, and maybe you should at least think about it. So I'll say on that right now, just so you know. Uh, thoughts on canning real quick here, since we are the Survival Podcast. Nicole Sauce did a great job talking about canning and bags. There's a way to do that yesterday on the air. Nobody lost their mind over that, which was nice for a change. Um, but I had an email come in because of that. Somebody said, hey, I want to can chili. And I went to like the National Canning Whatever website and uh, looked up canning chili, and they gave me a recipe for canning chili, you know, what meat to use and how much and all that stuff. And I don't, I don't really want to do that. You know, and you always say to use the recipe when you can. Uh, that's a known recipe. Can I make my own chili and can it? Yeah. Every, your grandma did. My grandma did. My great-grandma did. And we're not dead yet. Um, when I say use a recipe... And I usually don't say that. I, I usually say follow the procedure for a well-proven canning recipe. So what would that procedure be? That would be you look up on a trustworthy source, how long do I process this thing in a pressure canner to make sure that it's safe? And then you use that length of time, and then you adjust for your altitude. So if you had a high altitude, you use a heavier uh, uh, pet cock and a higher pressure. That's it. You can can anything. Uh, as long as you follow the procedures. And, you know, I would say that any reliable time formula for something like stew or chili will work for any stew or chili. Or if you're doing broth, you don't, you don't need someone's broth recipe. If you change how many bones you put in the pot when you make the stock that you're going to can, it doesn't change the formula for how long you have to use to sterilize the item inside the jar. I will say this for those of y'all getting into canning anew. You want to can you want to do what's called a hot can with these things, meaning you want to actually bring the chili, the stew, the stock, any of the especially these low acid liquid based things, you want to bring them to a simmer and then carefully without hurting yourself, you want to put them into your cans and set up and, and follow the procedure from there. But no, you don't need to follow a recipe when you can. You need to follow a procedure for and it's really more the type of thing. If you're doing something that's dense, like let's say uh, an apple butter, you're going to have to do a longer canning time than if you're doing something very thin like a pure stock. And you just need to make sure you're, you're doing that. And, and when in doubt, go five extra minutes. And like I said yesterday with canning, come on guys, this isn't hard. The big risk is what? Botulism. Anything but botulism that contaminates your canning You're going to know because when you go to open, it's going to be a big old swell on it. It's going to blow the seal or whatever, right? So, like, the only thing really that's a toxin that's due to improper canning procedures that can happen is botulism. Botulism is a bacteria, and botulism is everywhere. When I just lick my finger, I probably lick some botulism right there. Um, it, it really is. It's that common. And that's okay. Because botulism itself is not toxic. Now there's somebody losing their mind. Calm down. Wait a minute. As botulism reproduces, it produces a toxin. Think of it as botulism poop is the toxin, right? But if we boil something for a good 10 minutes, 
we boil off that toxin. It's very volatile. So that's why you don't generally hear much about botulism happening to people from improper canning procedures, because most people take that additional step that anything that could be a botulism threat, anything that's not high acid, when I, when I heat it up, instead of just heating it up, I should actually bring it to a simmer and keep it at least at a simmer for 10 full minutes. So Anyway, there you go. What is the shelf life difference between canning and freezing? It depends on what you're doing. <laughs> um, I mean, frozen chicken stock will probably last damn near forever, but frozen meat has a life expectancy, right? So um, I generally look at things as about a year, not from a safety, but from a quality standpoint. It's just about anything, no matter how well it's done. After about a year, your texture and your quality begins to go downhill, with the exception of freeze-drying and certain things with dehydration. All right, next up, um, I had a question on aquaponic systems. What do I do with the lower part of my aquaponic system during the winter? It depends. And I love the question because it's a thinking question because it already started out with the lower part. What do you mean by lower part? is the, the water the fish live in. Because what you do with aquaponics, guys, in climates where it's going to freeze and you have ebb and flow beds or any kind of like flow through anything, wicking beds. And this is why I like flow through wicking beds better than I like deep water flow through beds because – I can shut them off in the winter, and if anything will survive in soil through the winter, like a cloach and a little mini greenhouse or whatever, I keep growing in it. Everything else, stop growing. You shut it off. And the reason is if you have an ebb and flow bed full of lava rock or shale or uh, leka or what have you, and you get temperatures in the low 20s and lower, it's literally going to freeze solid. And even if your lower end of your system still working, eventually the drain that lets the water, it will plug up. And you're going to have cycles running and overflowing and then making giant ice things. And then additionally, all that moisture in that loose material that those plants are in is going to freeze solid. Plants are going to die. No matter how winter-hardy plants are, when, when, when they, the roots freeze solid, they tend to die. And then the other side of that is your ebb and flow beds are your primary heat loss. So you're trying to keep heat in the lower system. And then you keep flushing through your ebb and flow. Every time you do that, you're losing heat energy from your thermal battery. So kind of your best practice is, one, build a system appropriate to your climate. Okay, and what I mean by that, then, is the further north you are, if you're in the northern hemisphere, the deeper in the ground you should go. And the larger quantity of water you want for your fish Because I'm going to tell you, if you take something like a 300-gallon Rubbermaid stock tank, the big round ones, they're about five-foot round, and you bury that thing to the rim in the ground, and then you take foam board and put it over top of it, even if you leave some of it open, and you put a 300-watt uh, aquarium heater in there, it's not going to freeze solid. I mean, I guess if you're in, like, Minnow, North Dakota or something like that, you know, and it's freaking... 20 below zero for three weeks, it probably will eventually, you know. But in most of your temperate climates where this makes sense to do in the first place, that alone will do it. And what I would do is a 300-watt Aheem uh, aquarium filter, uh, aquarium heater, um, which I'll try to link in the audio side if I remember to do it. Uh, and if you want to know and I forget, just email me and I'll send you a link. Um, but I would put that in at the bottom, and I would get at least a 250-watt, if not a 500-watt, stock tank de-icer, and I would put that in the top, and I would cover everything other than a small area with that stock, type, uh, stock tank de-icer 
with simple insulation foam board. And that's going to go a long way. And your fish don't need a perfect environment. And then I would take your pump that was driving your system and put a bypass valve on it and just recirculate the water because it takes a lot more to freeze moving water than it does non-moving water. And if everything kind of freezes up to the point where that pump don't want to run no more, it sounds like you're going to kill it, shut it off. Leave the heaters in place. I've had systems freeze a foot thick on top of my fish. And the fish, if they're fish that can survive that cold weather, don't care. They pretty much go very inactive, and they kind of like fish hibernate. And they don't produce any waste during that period of time because they're not eating, obviously, because you can't eat food to them. And I have one pond that's about 12 inches deep in the ground in my aviary. And, again, it's only 12 inches deep. And during that massive freeze we had last year, all the goldfish in it lived. They probably had four inches of water left at the bottom. So it, you, you can't do it everywhere with everything. The other option is, this is why a lot of people build systems indoors, but what we can do is we can build a system that's indoor-outdoor. We can put the fish tank on some sort of inside of a greenhouse or a shop building or something like that and pump the water outside for the grow bed so we don't have to use grow lights. We have a lot more stable temperatures like that. And again, a little bit of heat goes a long way in that environment. So those are some different thoughts on that. Uh, maybe we'll talk about this more sometime next week on a standalone show. Uh, now the big subject of the day, the one many of you probably showed up when you saw the apocalypse. Are we in the middle of an apocalypse? And notice I said an apocalypse, not the apocalypse. There's Within religious circles, everybody has their own version of the, the, you know, the Christian concept of the apocalypse, the end of days. And you can believe what you want. I'm not critiquing your beliefs. That's not my place. I have no right to do so. I have no right to tell you what to believe about your faith. So you're going to have to put that in your back pocket for what I'm about to say and understand that even if you're right, I can still be right about what I'm saying because we're not where you are thinking when you use that word yet. But an apocalypse is actually a revealing. That's what it actually means. It does not mean the end. It means a revealing. And I, I started thinking about this last night. I've been reading The Lost Symbol by Dan Brown again, and I think it's a really excellent book, and it, it's really worth reading. It's a good unplugged from the Matrix book. It's, you know, fi it's a fiction book. A lot of stuff about Masons and stuff like that in it. But I don't want to give away the entire concept of where, what's going on in the book during this, this examination of things is, because if you haven't read the book, you, you, it'll ruin it for you. But just say like one of the characters is having what they believe is an afterlife experience, but it's not. And if you've watched the miniseries, by the way, that's on the streaming service, whichever, it's Peacock or something like that, it's good, but it ain't nothing like them. It's, it's zero relationship to the book, honestly. Uh, so it's still worth reading the book. But it goes through how, in history, we've had many times when truth and deceit collided heavily. And that's the hallmark of any unveiling or any apocalypse. That's what actually happens. And I, I'm going to use a word here that I, I tend to stay away from because it becomes so invocational of religious thought and religious theology, etc. And that's evil. And we can have evil as in it's the devil or Satan or demons or whatever, but we can have evil if none of that stuff exists. right? Whether you're a deist like me, whether you're a Christian... A Jewish person, a Hindu, a Muslim, whatever, uh, or an atheist. And, and, unless you're delusional, we can agree that there is a concept of basic good and true evil. 
And to, to go to an extreme example to make my point, somebody that walks through a park and starts looking around and picks out babies in strollers and starts smashing them on the ground, if you have a word other than evil for that, you are delusional and we should probably bury you in a hole up to your neck and let people kick you like a soccer ball until you're gone. And then just have the, the excavator come in and push you the rest of the way under, throw a little dirt on you and pretend you're not there. If you don't think that's evil, there's something wrong with you. Okay? That's evil incarnate. And a lot of the things that are going on in the world today, I don't have another word for. I don't have another word for. I absolutely believe there are therapeutics that are medications we've had for decades that can do no real harm to a person by trying that could have helped with this pandemic we went through and we're still going through. I absolutely believe that. And I believe that even if I'm wrong about them being effective, I know that I'm right about them being safe to use. You can't have a medication that's been safe to use for 60 years all of a sudden become dangerous when it should only be used in a hospital in an ICU. That can't happen. That can't happen. A medication that's still being deployed throughout the world for a variety of things that people take every day like it's safer than aspirin. It can't go from being safer than aspirin to dangerous just because some guy in a white coat with an official title said so. And to claim that, And even if it only potentially costs lives, I don't have another word other than evil. I don't have another word other than evil. And I've been really heavy on y'all lately that you need to get the book by RFK Jr. called The Real Anthony Fauci and read it so you can see this playbook. Well, reading Dan Brown's book at night and reading Dr. Fauci, the RFK book in, in the mornings, I found an interesting confluence there between an apocalypse and good and evil colliding with what's going on with the pandemic. But I said to myself, you know, if it's one thing, it can't possibly be the apocalypse or an apocalypse. So how many places is this pattern repeating itself? Where the truth is attacked as a lie by the people lying. And the answer I have, and it's more true now than it's, I'm not going to say ever been, but in my life, it's never been more clear that everybody telling the truth is attacked by establishment, about everything. You can take COVIDs and put it away, and you tell me where I'm wrong. Look at what you're being told about what kind of food you should be eating. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a test case scenario in this, right? I went from eating what they said you're supposed to eat to eating all the things they're not supposed to eat. I lost almost 100 pounds, and I saved my own life. So if you don't have to be keto with diet either. I mean, Ken Berry himself said at, at the workshop we had this fall, he said, now it won't work for me or Jack because we are a specific blood type and body type where we really need to stay restricted in our carbohydrates. We really do. But there are a lot of people, if they just simply kept their carbohydrates total, not net, total carbohydrates under 100 a day, 100 grams a day, they would be fine. All their numbers will come in line. They'll be great. And if we just made that the basic dietary advice in this country, it ain't got to be keto and eating bacon and, you know, it, it could just stay under 100 grams of carbohydrates a day. That's it. We would plummet diabetes, kidney failure, coronary heart disease, obesity, like across the board metrics. We would save millions of freaking lives a year just by doing that one thing And saying, this is the truth. So what happens when you tell that truth? You're attacked by everybody in big food and in government. 
as being a quack and you're going to kill people. You have the American Diabetes Association publishing menus for people with type 2 diabetes, which is completely curable, that one meal is 100 freaking carbohydrates. But it's whole grains. Telling people, relying on you to help them treat an illness that they have, the exact wrong thing to do, and knowing you're doing it, because I believe they know, is evil. I don't have a better word. And we can keep going. Let's look at the food industry a little bit differently. What are we being told we need to do now? We need to grow soybeans, and everybody needs to eat soybeans. We need to make fake meat, impossible burgers and things like that. I think this is evil. Why do I think it's evil? Because I know that if you give me a million acres to manage with cattle and pigs and chickens, that I can make the environment way better than you can take that same million acres and row crop it. I don't think it. I know it. We have enough evidence that shows that it's true that we all who have actually examined how civopasture and rotational grazing systems work, we know that every year that system becomes better for the environment If you're worried about carbon and CO2, it puts carbon in the soil, locks it up permanently unless we break it again. Every year it gets better, over and over and over, but it gets attacked. So when you have people trying to reveal the truth, you always have, like I said, it's the same but different, man. You always have institutions that are happy with the way things are opposing it. But I think what's happened over time, and an example would be coming out of the Dark Ages into the Renaissance and looking what happened back then. You know, like jailing and killing scientists for telling the truth because it upset the status quo. But it was a point where the pushback could only work so much because the time for the truth had come. And I believe we're there. I don't know a time in my life, and I can't, looking at like recent history, last few hundred years, I can't see a point where that's been more true than it is today. Where it's not just, hey, what we think is wrong, and here's the truth. But the truth is so obvious. The truth is so easy to see. The truth is so easy to prove. And the most important thing you need to have in Apocalypse is voices. The sheer number of voices speaking the truth. You know, a long time ago, there was a guy named Gandhi. I'm not saying he's a saint like some people think or whatever, but he got stuff done. The thing that he did that most cemented everything he would do from that point forward was the famous march to the sea. A lot of people don't know this, but when all that started... The British, having colonized India, and India being surrounded by ocean, and salt being such a valuable commodity at the time, the British decided they wanted to tax salt. Because what do governments like to do better than tax a thing? We have a problem with taxing something that people can just make. So they passed a law and they said that it was illegal for a native citizen of India that they had colonized to go to the sea, take a bucket, Fill it up with ocean water and set it out in the sun. Let the water freaking evaporate. And then collect the salt out of the bottom and put it on their food. That was illegal. Go to prison for it. Now that was wrong. In my opinion, that was evil. 
incarnate. Now, a lot of Indians, right, they still just made salt. But Gandhi looked at it and said, this is wrong, and they have to be challenged. So he did a march to the sea. Instead of just going and doing it, he announced publicly, I'm going to do this to force the British to stop him and marched along with many others to the sea to make salt, to be arrested. And this revealed to the people of the world how bluntly fucked up this was. That a man could be destroyed for evaporating water out of a bucket. Is it more obscene? Is it less obscene? Is it less absurd? Is it less ridiculous? That a man who went to medical school who has a great relationship with his patients, could lose his medical license for prescribing a medication that was perfectly okay for him to prescribe for anything he wanted to three years ago for prescribing it now when his patient says it helps me. We, we have an apocalypse today in my view because in all walks of life we're starting to have thousands of Gandhis instead of one. Thousands of voices of truth. And we're also reaching an interesting point from a technology standpoint. Yes. Yes, very much so. They control everything, don't they? They control everything. Facebook, Twitter, the media on TV, they control the narrative. YouTube may decide they don't like what I've said today and they'll just shut down this video or maybe even take away my channel. Facebook may deny me the ability to communicate with you on that platform. I don't care. Go ahead. Twitter might. I don't care. Go ahead. I made a meme today, and it's the, it's the thumbnail for this video, and it's the, the famous Leo with the, with the little drink. Ah, right? And it says, when you realize the left controls big tech, the media, and government, but they're still terrified of memes, facts, comedians, and oxygen. See, I think the important thing to understand about when we enter an apocalypse There's no guarantee that it'll, that it'll go smoothly. In fact, they usually don't. There's no guarantee that you won't lose your individual fight within it. But it's almost an inevitable guarantee that darkness loses every time. Every single time. And there's a simple reason for it. Light destroys darkness. But darkness cannot destroy light. And I'm talking about actual light and darkness now. The only way you can create true darkness is to shield out light. Get a box that's thick enough, put a lid on it, and inside there it's dark. Pinprick hole. And light floods into the space and destroys the darkness. So reading your spiritual texts. The darkness comprehendeth not. You go into a dark room, you flip a light switch, and the darkness is banished. It is the truth that banishes evil. Because evil is always deceptive. Evil is always a lie. And we are living in a world of inherent evil right now. And again, you don't have to believe in any sort of religious mythology to believe that. Destroying human beings' lives because they disagree with you is evil. Telling people to eat food that you know will make them sick is evil. Denying people the ability to choose their own future is evil. Using force of the state and force of oligarchy 
to destroy the planet's ecosystem in the name of saving it. Guys, that's fucking evil. And that's where we are. We are absolutely at a point right now where it is us and them. And God, I hate saying us and them. But it is us and them. And I think each apocalypse has kind of a theme. It's like a theme party apocalypse, right? Like, you know, like you have an 80s party, right? And everybody comes dressed up as 80s people, like Duran Duran or was it Miami Vice guys or something, right? You know? And I think that the theme this time is centralization versus decentralization. And that's not about crypto. That's just one small piece of it. I said this years ago, and I never really saw this correlation to, like, this unveiling. But every problem we have is being addressed by the people in power through the concept of we need more power and we need more centralization and we need more control. But when examined critically and logically, the solution is inevitably we need less centralization and less centralized control and less power of individuals uh, in a small number and more empowerment of individuals at a wider level. And you can keep looking at things, and it just keeps being that way. We have a problem with the food supply. Gee, well, maybe if you guys got the hell out of the business of telling people how their cow has to be processed, maybe there'd be more slaughterhouses and people wouldn't be waiting a year to have a cow processed right now. You know, that would mean giving up centralized control. You know, when we have energy grid problems, you know what? Putting power generation and power storage in individual homes, and even though even there is a place for a grid, And then intercombining that back into the grid so that we can load share during shortages, that makes sense. But that's empowering the individual. That individual might not need you anymore, big power company. Or they may only need you a tiny little bit now. Can't have that. When we look at a housing problem, maybe if we didn't have so many regulations saying you can't build a house under a certain number of square feet, We'd have affordable housing tomorrow because the free market would start building them, but that would be decentralizing power and control. And I just don't see a place where the solution that's obvious, or in the words of Bill Mollison, is embarrassingly simple, isn't either full or partial decentralization. And I'm open to it. You can give me one, and we'll examine it critically together, and we'll determine whether or not you're right. But I can't think of one. And I'm a pretty good thinker. And I've tried, because even though this makes so much logical sense to me, I believe if you're not willing to challenge your own beliefs and your own biases and your own uh, decision-making process, if you're not willing to say, I'm going for a moment to pretend that this is a lawsuit and I'm the lawyer for the other side, I'm going to build a case against myself, then you're not a critical thinker. But I don't know, give me a problem we have today and tell me we can't mitigate it at least through decentralization and then show me that everything in media and government and industry isn't designed to prevent that decentralization. You want better food? Grow more food in more places and remove the obstacles to doing so instead of having all the food go to a warehouse before people get it. Got a flaw in that? Tell me what it is. I'll listen. If, if you're in my audience right now and you have a legitimate flaw with that, I will let you come on the air with me. I'll get, if somebody has one, tell me in the chat. I'll drop a link. You can come right on into my chat room, and I'll let you tell me where I'm wrong. And go ahead. And I don't mean that adversarially. I'm talking about an open, honest discussion here. I don't expect it, 
I don't know where we're at in the world today where we have a serious problem, where we're not in this mode of apocalypse. And that's what's in Dan Brown's book, is about every time this occurs, every time a great unveiling of truth occurs, every time society is ready for an actual leap forward instead of a reset. You know, just think about that. I didn't really think about that till this second right now. Humanity is about ready to take a massive leap forward intellectually and scientifically. Massive leap. As, as, as confused as your great-grandfather would be about the massive leaps in technology that we've had between when he died and today. You know, my great-grandfather died in early 80s. My, my last, you know, you have like four, right? I, my last great-grandfather I lost, the only great-grandfather I ever met, died somewhere around 1982. If we could bring him back when he was nice and healthy and about 45 years old, and he walked in just my home, his mind would be blown. If he walked in here and said, what are you doing right now? And I said, I'm talking to hundreds of people all over the world through this box. And they see me and they can interact with me and they're talking to me right here. His mind would probably shut down. As monumentous is, that leap forward is. The leap forward that we're talking about right now. People becoming their own doctors to a large degree. Doctors returning to the concept of doctor as a teacher and surgeon as a treater. That's happening right now. A complete revealing of new knowledge about the ancient things that have always worked well to keep us healthy and safe. That is a much bigger leap than going from ahoy hoy on the phone to using the internet. It's a massive change in society. And changes benefit society as a whole in general when they are leaps forward. And they seriously impede and cost the established power structures when they occur. That's why there'll always be this fight. But think about that. What am I talking about now? Again, I'm talking about a leap forward for humanity in general. And what do the people in power want to do? Reset. Interesting. Interesting that term when you see it that way, isn't it? We want to leap forward. We want to evolve forward as a species. We want to evolve forward as human beings. We want to evolve forward in the way that we establish and maintain and build our communities. And they want to reset. You have right now, in my estimation, it's probably been since the Renaissance, we have not had a place where those two opposing forces have clashed as hard as they are right now. And I believe we'll win. I might be dead by then because they shot me or took me away or because I got old. I'm not saying it'll be quickly. It'll happen quickly. But nothing so strong as a Nothing is so powerful as an idea whose time has come. I believe it was Victor Hugo that said that. And I think that's exactly where we are. Unveiling the colors of a woke society. I think wokeism is a direct result of this confluence. I mean, actually convincing a child that you're not the gender you were born to when they're young enough to be manipulated into that, is that not evil? Convincing somebody that you are bad 
because you were born a certain color? Is that not evil? Is that not like is that not like literally the definition of evil? It absolutely is in my opinion. And what do you use to fight light? You try to use darkness. The woke culture is a direct result of this. These people, like, all these people, like, you, you, we look at them and we call them, like, woke tards or whatever, and they're, they're idiots. They didn't wake up one day and turn into that. They were conditioned, trained, and taught to think that way. And the ones most susceptible were the ones that, that you know, bit it, swallowed it, hook, line, and sinker. People didn't just decide, oh, yeah, I'm going to go on site team masks hard and start masking my face 27 times a day, right? Like, I need another mask and another mask. Just put the whole box on. People didn't just randomly do that. They were conditioned into freaking psychosis, mass freaking psychosis into doing that. Why do you think they're doing it? Because they want to shut everybody up. They don't want honesty. They don't want voices like mine or yours. The most dangerous thing to them is those of you with little channels, little podcasts, little websites, way smaller than mine, that put up a picture of your family eating breakfast from eggs you harvested from your backyard. That terrifies them. Because that's about the damn brightest light you can shine. Is showing that what you do works. Or as I've said for years, showing that what you do matters. Do you actually can make these determinations for yourself? Because that's what's going on right now. The real, veil, the real revealing here is in self-determination. That every human has within them the ability to influence their own lives for the better and make choices for themselves that impact their future far more than anybody else. And the, if you think about it, the macro view of the system right now is, no, you can't. You need us. And I want you to think about it like a relationship. Think about the mass of society being a female in a relationship, in a marriage, a bad one, or a bad boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. And finally the woman says, well, we used to get along, but we don't anymore, and I don't think you're good for me, and I'm leaving. And the guy puts his hand on the door and says, you better not leave me. You'll never make it without me. You can't make it on your own. No one will ever love you or care for you as much as I do. You better not leave. Without me, you're nothing. Without me, you'll starve. Anybody you find other than me will treat you worse than I do. Even if I treat you poorly, they will treat you worse. I'm as good as it gets, and you need me. You'd say that's a sick, psychotic son of a bitch, and she should kick him in the balls and go out the door. And if he follows her, she's probably dropping with a 38 to the head. I don't see it much different with government right now. And when I'm talking about government, I'm talking about the whole thing. I'm not just talking about your elected officials and bureaucrats. That's the third of the unholy trifecta. Government right now is media, all of it. Facebook, Twitter, ScrewTube, Google, all the searching, all of big tech, plus... ESP, you know, everything from ESPN, where the Let's Go Brandon shit started, right, to MSNBC, CBS, Fox News, all of it. That's, that's the, another third of government. And then the last third is the oligarchy. 
It's all the corporations that conspire together in clear and flagrant disregard for the federal law that they put in place through lobbyists to control us. That's government. And that's what government's saying right now. You'll never survive without us. It's dangerous out there. You know, I think of like some sci-fi things where like the guy, there was an episode of 24 where Jack Bauer's daughter ends up down in an old nuclear bunker. And the guy that has her down in the bunker says, you can't go up there. They, nuclear war happened. Right? The bombs went off. Oh, I'll go out I'll, and I'll wear a suit and I'll go out and get supplies. It's not safe. And if you hold people hostage that long, there's three outcomes. First, and this is where about half of society is right there, now today. It's called Stockholm Syndrome. They identify with their captor, they go into mass formation psychosis, and they do whatever they're told. The rest of society, or the other two options in that individual scenario, they wait for an opportunity, and they kill the captor. Because they're like, there's only one way out of this, and that's for this person not to be here anymore. We call those revolutions an actual insurrection. It's not their nonsense about January 6th when those occur in history. Or outright escape. Those are the only three plausible scenarios, right? I guess some people kill themselves. But generally speaking, captives either escape, they injure and disable or kill their captors, or they accept their captivity. That's an apocalypse. That's the world right now. People are all making one of those three choices. The person in a place where there's no requirement to wear a mask walking around with two masks on has Stockholm Syndrome. The person that will get as many boosters as they're told to get has Stockholm Syndrome. The person that will willingly believe that it makes more sense to plow a field than fill it with trees and animals has Stockholm Syndrome. The person that believes it's okay for a 19-year-old with a nose ring with no idea of what's going on to be a fact checker and overrule a doctor with 30 years of experience in the practice of internal medicine has Stockholm Syndrome. They've identified with their captors. I've always said violence has to be the last option, not the first one. So our real option? Escape. Escape. An old school, in a way, pirate radio. Speak the truth, show the truth, document the truth, don't be afraid of the truth, and remember, they are afraid of the truth. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap things up with today's episode of the show. You pull yourself up, they keep bringing you down. Are they gonna bail you out, or just run you around? They said you should have a house. The American way a dollar down a dollar a month and you never have to pay there's a better way to do this let me show you a better way you don't have to be another face in the crowd